0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Remakers Podcast. I'm your host, Lily Spencer, co-director of Australia Remade. And I'm really thrilled that you are here today for a wonderfully thought provoking conversation with some incredible young leaders. So before we get into who they are, I just want to put us all in the mindset of people coming through growing up today. If you are not a member of Gen Z or a millennial or younger Imagine just growing up in a time where it just seemed like the crises kept coming, (laughs) you know? I mean, maybe you're coming of age hearing about this thing called the GFC and you're watching your parents worry about it. Maybe you're realizing that houses are just becoming more and more and more unaffordable and how are you ever going to keep a roof over your head, much less buy a home? Then there's an actual global pandemic. You know, this thing that gets described as a once in a century event, and it happens right when you're trying to get your education or launch your career or travel and see the world, you know, these definitive formative years. And add on to that, of course, the climate apocalyptic crisis that you have been told about for as long as you can remember that you have seen out your windows and in the headlines and in your communities this anxiety, this what is called this kind of terror of the future or this general dread about the world that we are inheriting that must be weighing on you. These leaders are here to talk about how we turn that around and what are the things we can control that we can change that we can fix. So Jane Bodie is the general manager at a independent nonprofit called Think Forward and Thomas Walker is their chief economist. They're both millennial leaders. They are Passionate advocate for economic systems that work for all generations so that we can kind of get out of this false narrative of pitting the winners against the losers and actually think about: no, how do we build an economy that really does work for everybody, that doesn't just pull the ladder up behind it um, for generations that have come through when, say, degrees were free and houses were cheaper? What does it look like to really change the system so that we can set young people up for success instead of stacking? the cards so heavily against them it's a great conversation i've really enjoyed it and learned heaps i hope you do too here's jane and tom welcome to the Remakers podcast. It is absolutely wonderful to be sitting down and getting your slant on some of these big ideas and getting to chat to you today. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having us. We're really excited about it.
2: Yeah, thanks, Lily.
0: <laughs> and look, if you wouldn't mind, I've already given our audience a little bit of an idea of who you are on the kind of work that you do, but could you just introduce yourselves to us a little more, you know, how introduce you and Think Forward and kind of how you came to be doing this work. Because I think it's really unique as an organization for people who haven't heard of it. And so sort of who you are and and how you got involved. Jane, as the general manager of Think Forward, I'm going to start with you. Can you please tell us a little bit about you and the work that you do?
1: Sure. Uh, so my background is actually in global development, but really from that systems change level, uh, trying to shift the sector to take on community-led practice as, you know, the mainstream approach. Um, and I like through that work, I got to work alongside a lot of amazing grassroots organizations and local leaders who are creating a lot of change Um but I think as anyone in the nonprofit sector knows, a persistent challenge is limited resources. Um, and so after a while, I got really tired of this kind of scarcity mindset, knowing that there was this whole for-profit world out there that seemed to have unlimited resources. Uh, so I went off and did an MBA to kind of, you know, get that knowledge, find out what I was missing, and figure out how you know, with all of these resources out there that how, how we can redistribute them and use them more effectively. And really that's my motivation for being part of Think Forward and the work that we do because young people in Australia shouldn't be struggling. We, we have resources out there and we're just not utilizing them sustainably or effectively or fairly. Um, and so that's sort of, yeah, that's how I came into think forward, and that's what I use to, yeah, drive the work that I do at, at the organisation.
0: That's awesome, and we'll come back obviously and talk more about think forward in a second. But um, Tom, what about you?
2: Uh, yeah, so uh, I'm I'm an economist, uh, but I've sort of always been a bit embarrassed by that. I'd say I'd say as a profession, we've had a pretty rough couple of couple of decades, even. Um, Yes, yeah, like even a couple of months ago, I was reading about this poll in the UK. And it's one of those polls that talks about the most trusted professions. Um, and obviously nursing came out on top. Like nurses are amazing, they should get paid more. Uh, it's ridiculous that an investment banker gets paid so much more than a nurse. Um, but at the bottom of this list of, of most trusted professions was politicians, but second last was economists, which is second last quite an indictment on my profession. Um but I'm also not surprised. Like the economists people see on TV, um, they're talking about the economy as some abstract thing. They're talking about GDP growth, inflation, yield curves, productivity, financial crises. Um, it's kind of like, ah, oh, like what does it all mean? Like old man in suit. Um, and so I think economics can feel really disconnected from people's everyday lives, and i I think that's I think that's a problem, and I. And I found that um, sort of way of thinking sort of very prevalent, even all the way back to my university degree. Um, I, took a, I took a trip to Indonesia when I was 18 and just fell in love with the world and its cultures and how it worked. And sort of being from Tasmania down at the bottom of the world, I just wanted to learn how the world worked. And I thought economics would offer that to me as a degree. Um, but I of just found that I was sitting in these big lecture theatres um, learning about these complex mathematics and all these abstract models about how humans behaved. And I was told that humans are selfish and that government intervention is bad and free markets are the drivers of prosperity and all these sorts of things that even then just didn't feel right and I didn't really agree with.
0: You're actually taught that in your economics degree? Like this yeah. is taught to you as fact?
2: It was. This was This was back around, yeah, 2010, 2011, 2012. But yeah, that traditional, well, not traditional, the sort of the neoliberal view of economics that um market is market is king and we solve our problems by by letting the market do its work, basically. Um thankfully, I also enrolled in human geography, which is which is I think where my real economics uh education happens, because that's it's all about political economy and the importance of place and community and learning about how. Our economic systems are actually letting people down and causing inequality and destroying the planet. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm really thankful I got both sides of the coin, I guess, around how our economic systems work. Um, And then I went and worked in um, consulting for seven years for for a great little firm called SGS Economics and Planning. Um, I learned a lot from a couple of wonderful senior planners, um, Dr. Mark DeSpiller. Pat Fensham about well-being economics um, and we had this perspective working with councils and state government that economic development shouldn't just be about growing the economy that it should be about the distribution of wealth and well-being um, but even doing that I was I was finding I was quite frustrated that I was so far away from where decisions are made and sort of I felt that we're in this time of crisis like I don't know how Jane feels but I know that as I've grown up like I started with the GFC and now we've had COVID and the cost of living crisis the climate crisis the mental health crisis um the housing crisis like there's just all these things one after the other it feels like um yeah my generational young people are, are just really struggling and and yeah getting a raw deal but you sort of look at our politicians and our leaders and even our economists and they're not really listening or really paying enough attention to it um and we even had like the smashed avocado years where young people <laughs> were being told that they're just wasteful and spend too much money it's and it's all their own fault yeah um so then i came across think forward in in 2020 during the lockdowns um so think forward was started by our colleagues uh Sonia Aracord and meg shelley um, because the similar thing, they were growing frustrated at the lack of action from our policymakers to uh, to address the issues that were impacting young people and this idea of intergenerational fairness and long-term thinking and how our political leaders weren't thinking like that. Um, so yeah, I jumped on board one day a week, uh, and then early this year, I yeah left my safe skewer job as a consultant to to do think forward. um full time because i'm really passionate and really believe in what we're doing and i think i think what we're talking around talking about around intergenerational fairness long term thinking well-being economics a lot of other organisations are talking about the same thing and it's it's really inspiring to be part of
0: yeah well done i think i think you jumped ship at the right time and it is exciting and when i first heard about think forward i was like wait i'm sorry there's an organisation by and for young people solely devoted to economic systems change for intergenerational equity like who are these incredible people who are doing this because it was just the coolest thing that i'd heard of um and so it says that your mission at think forward is really an economy that works for all generations um you know you reject this kind of weird thing that sometimes happens in the media where they try to pit generations against each other who's winning who's losing we're going to take more from the retirees to fund the Um, And you're really about looking at how do we embed a sort of intergenerational equity perspective in policymaking? Like, how does this become central to the thing rather than some strange afterthought or sidebar and siloed kind of issue? So I think Think Forward is super cool. But like, who are the young people who care about economic system change? Is it just, as you were saying, Tom, all of those crises that you've had you know, I remember during COVID thinking, man, I'm so glad I had my 20s before this happened. You know, like, I'm so glad that I was able to get out into the world and travel and have adventure and try different things and places and and figure out who I was. Imagine trying to launch your adult life right now. And I had that conversation with a lot of my middle-aged mom friends. <laughs> um, but I sort of think, like, what is it like to be trying to build a life, build a career, afford a home afford like what is that like coming through right now what is it like for young people who have grown up in a climate of crisis quite literally and on multiple kind of levels is this something that you guys talk and think about a lot in your work
1: yeah absolutely um and i think for me i spent you know almost six years uh or maybe longer outside of australia um, and then coming back the end of 2021 was, you know, landing at the time when in my head we're we're supposed to be, we're at the age where we're buying houses and where we've finished our, you know, our degrees and we're thinking about starting families. And I was shocked by how hard that had become and how sort of stressed out um the people in my generation, and my friends were. And I think, you know when you're talking about who are the young people that that care about this stuff, it's it, everyone is cares about it because it's affecting their everyday lives. But I think going back to what Tom said, you know, economics and and taxes, it doesn't feel like something that young people have access to when we're talking about, you know, those kinds of policies, it, it feels like something that, you know, those old white men over there talk about, and it's not about, it's not us. Um, and so I think there's a, there's a really, there's a big distance between that that understanding that we as young people, we have the right and also the responsibility to engage on these issues. But The accessibility makes it really hard and I think it's what's led us to the situation that we are in where young people are struggling to advocate for their economic well-being because it's been gatekept. Um, The information isn't, it's, it's hard to understand, it's complex and it shouldn't be and that's part of what we try to do.
0: Tom, do you think that that is different to previous generations challenges? You know, like it's not like economics has ever been particularly super accessible to the average person, much less the average, you know, teenager to 28 year old. Like what, what is this generation facing that is so unique compared to previous generations? Cause they would say, well, we've all had our challenges and it's always been hard. And economics has always been boring and cakey. Yeah.
2: I mean, the dream scenario is that young people don't need to care about economics and tax reform (laughs) and superannuation because our the older generations and our older leaders are doing that job for us they're thinking long term they're thinking intergenerationally they're thinking about the future and how we make a better future but 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 they're not there's this idea of the intergenerational bargain where um each generation sort of supports the generations that come up behind them so um, if you're a taxpayer, you support young people when getting an education. You su- we support families when they want to have children and right through the steps of life to the other end where we support older Australians in retirement and with their aged care. Um, and the way I like to look at it is it's like this, that board game, like the the, the story of life, what it's called, <laughs> um, where you land on each space and you make a decision about what you want to do with your life. And so is that if you look when you at, drive
1: around in
0: little cars and you like yeah. gonna get married, I'm going to have a kid <laughs> yeah, <life.
1: laughs> or, in right. the motto or something like that. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the way we see it is that, so there's, there's education, um, there's getting a good secure job, there's buying a home, there's having a family, there's, building up wealth, and then there's retiring. Um, and each of these steps have been made harder for younger generations through the decisions that have been made over recent decades by our political leaders. And now we're in the situation where it's not the decisions being made, it's the, the lack of courage to reverse some of these decisions. And so we we have a big focus on the tax and transfer system because it's kind of, it's really critical to everyone's well-being. But it's kind of in the background you don't really notice it so when you talk about housing or education or whatever it might be what's sitting behind those things is the tax and transfer system yeah. um and yeah, so and i
0: think people would connect those two like i don't yeah. think google well-being tax and transfer system would be one of yeah. the top results yeah
2: so so yeah we we get a bit nerdy with <laughs> with, with tax reform and and i think I think we can get even a bit embarrassed by it. we're like, oh no, we don't want to talk about the details too much because it's like we just think it's people find it boring, but it is actually it's like so pretty cool. So yeah, these these tax these tax concessions like, like negative gearing or capital gains concessions, which um tilt the property market towards certain groups, older, wealthier people away from young people, or the way that we've let education get more expensive and our hex debts are this huge burden that. Young people have to pay off over 10, 15, 20 years while they're trying to start a family or buy a home. Um, The demographic bad luck that young people are faced with the ageing baby boomer cohort who um, we need to find a lot of money to support them in retirement. Like there's all these barriers um, in our tax and transfer system that are that are holding young people back. And there's no appetite from our leaders to have these tough conversations around tax reform, long-term thinking, housing reform that would actually make the meaningful difference we need to see. Um, So that's why we like to talk about intergenerational thinking and intergenerational fairness, because it's this framework that's like, well, what what do we want to... What do we want our economy to be in 20 years? What do we want our housing system to be in 20 years? And how do we get there as opposed to just trying to win the next election, which is which is really frustrating to to deal with that short termism uh, and the lack of sort of courage and vision shown by our political leaders.
0: Okay, so so your argument is that it's not that. You know, things have always been hard, and every generation just has to kind of push their way through. You know, the the hard work of buying a home, or um, you know, educating themselves and getting a good job or a good career. But that we have made deliberate policy choices which have tilted the odds against this generation and the ones coming forward. And what I love about intergenerational equity is I think it's a really useful frame to also just talk about the nice things that we would like. You know, like the things that we think that we would like for our children, our grandchildren, the kinds of ancestors we want to be, the kinds of world that we, you know, country, society, communities that we want to create and, and have for future generations are such just things that would be really nice to have now. And it's like, how do we have this conversation in a way that that frames it in terms of people that we love and care about, but really is thinking about all of us. And, you know, let's get into some of these solutions. I know you guys have been advocating for an actual parliamentary inquiry into intergenerational fairness what is that why would that be a bit of a game changer and is there any appetite in Canberra for that
1: well so a parliamentary inquiry is a, a, a strategy we are using because it's it's a tool that allows the public to get involved in the conversation Um, It's not the best, it's not the, you know, the most um, accessible solution, but it is uh, a way that the government has to acknowledge the issues and respond to each of the recommendations that people make um, around the issue. Um, And so we, we have made a couple of trips to Canberra in the last year. Um, and I think, you know, we've spoken to people across the political spectrum, um, from, from all the major parties. And there's, the thing is, there's not, there's not resistance to the idea of an inquiry or, um, anyone arguing that there's not an issue. Um, we're constantly told that, yes, we, we know this is an issue. We know that it's, there's, it's challenging for young people. We know there's, um, in inequity um but i think what we we come up against is this idea of people saying that their idea of intergenerational fairness it's so broad how how would we how would we tackle that you know and and this is part of what we're talking about is we have all these issues like housing and education and climate and all of these bits and pieces and we keep trying to solve them one by one you know like whack-a-mole like it's It's not effective. And at at the bottom, at the core of all of those issues is this lack of long-term thinking and this lack of intergenerational planning. And so if there was something in uh, a government mechanism that, you know, that that made sure politicians had to think long-term when implementing a policy, lots of these other issues would start to work themselves out. Um, and it's just far more effective, <laughs> if anything, at the very least. It's so much more effective. Um, so, yeah, and we, we have had, we've had a lot of support from Kate Chaney in particular. She's really passionate about the issue of intergenerational fairness. Um, and we have also recently formed a coalition uh, for intergenerational fairness uh, alongside a couple of other organisations, Origin, Foundations for Tomorrow and EveryGen out of Griffith University uh, to, yeah, to keep pushing for a government, uh, you know, law reform around this issue. Um, and we would like to start that with an inquiry to, to sort of watch that conversation and flesh out the issues.
2: Yeah, the, the precedent with the inquiry is that, um there was one in the House of Lords in the UK um inquiry into into intergenerational fairness and the inquiry findings uh, in the House of Lords were were pretty damning but we think that'd be pretty similar in Australia so they found that there was persistent short-termism in government outlook and policy uh there was no consideration of the impacts of policy on different generations uh they found that there was a failure of the government to ensure a sufficient supply of affordable housing, education and training wasn't ill-equipped to provide the skills of the future, um, so on and so forth. Just that that lack of planning and long-term vision that would set up the economy and the community and the country for a better future for young people was just completely absent from the politics in the UK. And, yeah, unfortunately, I think we'd find a similar thing in Australia too.
0: And so then taking it forward and making sure, because I'm, you know, I'm guessing the UK House of Lords didn't then turn around and go, right, let's overhaul everything (laughs) just from what I read and the headlines coming out of the UK. So how do we make it, you know, yes, it's a great first step to get people actually facing some of these issues and having to respond. And is there a mechanism that then takes it forward?
2: Yeah. So it's definitely to get the conversation started. We like to say that it's an opportunity to get all the evidence on the table and to actually get younger generations participating in an inquiry process because a lot of the time there's lots of inquiries going on all the time and young people aren't really participating in them. But then in terms of mechanisms, there are other examples from around the world. Um, So I think think there's nine OECD countries that have some sort of public institution that um, monitors government policies for intergenerational fairness, including the Welsh model of a Future Generations Commission. I'm I so you've...
0: glad you talked about we <laughs> Wales. We've been talking about Wales all this season on the podcast.
1: Yes, yeah. we were just yeah. saying we can't believe we're coming after Sophie
0: Howell. Yes.
1: Oh, my gosh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Such um, a
0: great example, right, of like they had yeah. a national conversation and now everything has to be, you know, filtered through this prism of intergenerational equity and the well-being goals that they decided on as a country. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so yeah, Australia's behind in this. And the UN's talking about it, the OECD is talking about it. Um, governments such as like Portugal's just implemented intergenerational impact assessments for policy making. Um, there's a great example from Japan where groups of people get together when they're making policy and have to wear like robes and they have to pretend that it's the year 2060 and, and what that world looks like. And then you design policy with that in mind, not Getting elected in two years' time. So it's just it's a it's a framework that changes how you how you think, um, that yeah, allows you to to make better policy.
0: Yeah. And being good ancestors, I mean, I feel like that's something that um, and I'm really keen to have some Indigenous economists on the podcast as well talk to talk about this perspective that is so much more ingrained in you know, not just Aboriginal Australians, but First Nations cultures all over the world. It's like, how do you be a good ancestor? How do you make decisions seven generations forward, you know, so that we're not enjoying some short-term hedonistic party at the expense of, you know, our great-great-great-grandchildren? Look, I I think it would, obviously, it sounds like there's, you know, knocking on a bit of an open door, certainly with Kate Chaney, and I hope that it's something that, whether it's part of a bigger national conversation or its own thing or both, you know, that we can start to just shift the dials a little bit and get people thinking more this way. I mean, I, I personally kind of feel like we owe young people, like it has been pretty crap for a while in terms of the different crises that have come through the pipeline against a backdrop of most of the people in parliament right now got their higher education for free. And we're just saying, Hey, can you not index head, hex debt to like, runaway inflation, you know, like that's what we're asking for. It's just like, could you just not make it quite so terrible? <laughs> I mean, Jane, I saw an article that you're quoted in saying that you think you'll be paying off your education till you're at least 60 or 65. Like that, it doesn't have to be that way. I really think that we should be looking at okay we you like there we're looking at some kind of scary and uncertain circumstances many of which are beyond our control but there are things that we can do and one of them would be for example making higher education completely free whether that was TAFE or university do you feel like you know some of these other, what are the big solutions that excite you and where do you think there is a possibility or a momentum that people could help to push
2: um yeah well the good thing about momentum and talking about young people is you'll never talk to a person who's like nah like we don't care about young <laughs> people like, the system's like po- fine. like politicians care or at least they they talk about caring about like things like youth unemployment and and education and opportunity for young people but where where we're getting stuck is this this systems level again yeah. that it's like that big picture of the whole system and how it works together and how young people can move through the same stages of life as previous generations and live on a healthy planet as well, which would be nice. I mean, um, you're just greedy,
1: <laughs> you millennials and Gen yeah. Zs. Gosh, okay. but it's also, you know, it's, uh, same with politicians. Older generations, when, when we ask them and we have people write to us, all you know, the folk write to us and say, I'm worried about this, too. No, you know, no one wants to leave, you know, everyone wants to leave the world a better place. You know, no, no, when you ask person to person, what, what do you want to, what kind of world do you want to leave for the, for the people that are behind you? It's positive. Right. And so it's just, it's something it's, yeah, it's this system that we've been, we've got caught up in. Um, and there's real, there's, there's a big loss aversion aspect to the change um, in that, yes, no grandparent is wishing for a worse world for their grandchild. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of what does that actually mean in tangible change, it becomes a lot harder. Um, it's a lot easier for politicians to say no to us than to take something away from people that have already got it um that's what we're really that's what we're really up against um and I think there's lots of conversations our country needs to have about what is what what really does we have to get realistic um and what what, what do we need to change to make things better
2: um yeah yeah yeah, we can't we can't stress enough that think forward is is not about pitting generations against each other like our ideal world is that we work together across generations to tackle these issues whether it's the climate crisis or the housing crisis or wealth inequality um, paying for aged care whatever it might be um and yeah we th- there's definitely an appetite for that from the older people we talk to to work together to solve these things but um we've we've seen in the past whether it's um like when labor were trying to roll back negative gearing and franking credits to these uh holes were filled with older people like yelling about how they didn't want to lose their concessions and then the the sort of the media gets involved and they're sort of the same they they fight very strongly to maintain the sort of the status quo and if we're going to solve the housing crisis, we can't have these Band-Aid solutions. It's going to take reform of the entire system over 10, 20 years, deflating house prices, like providing affordable housing for young people um, and boosting the home ownership rate and secure rentals is going to be hard and it's going to require a level of intergenerational sacrifice. Um, and so, yeah, making making that happen is is the hard bit. Because so yeah, as Jane said, we all
0: love the idea of affordable homes, but no one likes the idea of their house being worth less.
2: Then. Yeah, and giving up their tax breaks and uh, a six or eight-story apartment building going in down the end of their street. Like, there's a lot of when it comes down to the practical actions that are required. There's a lot of individual individualistic self-interest at play, and we've lost this ability to think long-term and collectively for for what's best for the for the country in the future I
0: wonder part of that is that because of the that kind of neoliberal economic paradigm that pits us all as individuals competing and having to look after our own and build our own financial security you know we don't trust that there's enough we don't trust that if you're not scrambling and hustling and you know that that you're going to be okay that your children are going to be okay that you know like There's this fear of, of, well, if I don't have as much as I possibly can amass, I'm not doing I'm not doing the responsible thing by my own family. And then we're all going to be worse off. And I think that's part of the culture that we need to shift of like we're a wealthy country. You know, we actually do have enough for everyone. It is how it is, you know, generated, shared, um, you know, from pre-distribution of like, how do we get the market to do more of that? work to begin with of kind of, you know, sharing the wealth and minimizing the harms through to redistribution of our taxes and and why we want to live in a society where everyone has nice things rather than gated communities next to tent cities, which is really what America has become in some places. I mean, where I grew up, my dad literally lives in a gated community. And when he drives out of it, Under every overpass, he lives in the Bay Area of California. Under every freeway overpass is a tent city of people who don't have homes. Like, this is not what we're aiming for. And I think we need to talk really clearly about the failures of the current system and where that goes. Like, no one wants to live in that world, but it feels scary to give up what we have. And I think you're so right. Like, psychology talks about loss aversion. It's, you know, the pain of having something taken away from you. Feels worse than the benefit of getting something potentially down the track that might be good. Hey, just wanted to say that if this conversation has got you thinking, well, we would really like to hear from you. So you can get in touch with us directly via email podcast at australiaremade.org. You can also give us a call and the details for that are in your show notes. I wanted to give a huge shout out to everyone who takes a minute to spread the word about this podcast or to write a review. It means the world to us. We are a small, not-for-profit, independent team building a community of people who want a kinder, smarter more hopeful and solutions focused politics so if that sounds like your jam please go to the website australiaremaid.org and sign up to get updates and stay in the loop and check us out thanks back to the show In the news, often young people are spoken about, but rarely given the mic. And so, you guys have a mic, and I want to ask: like, what is it like to be a younger person coming through in this economy right now? What are you experiencing? What are you talking about with your peers? How does it feel right now in this economy from the perspective of somebody who is just trying to establish and build a life? Jane, do you want to kick us off?
1: Yeah, sure. I think one of the biggest things um for me is is this shift in the fact that you know all of my friends as couples or singles whatever but it's particularly the noticing couples that might be um both working full-time jobs and still really struggling to get by um and this you know you're working 40 hours a week doing all the things that you're supposed to do that should set you up for a comfortable life and still not being able to achieve it. And I think that's one of the pieces that's becoming just harder and harder to bear for my generation. Um, because there there isn't much more that we can stretch, right? And we we often getting told that, you know, or work harder, get a second job, like all of these things. And then when what when is left to what time is left to have a family or even friends I have that already have kids spend time with their family um, without the stress of when to pay the next bill or rent, um, doing everything that they already possibly can. Um, and so I think that's one of the, yeah, that's one of the pieces that's just really hard to sit with um, because we are working hard. We're, we're really, we're doing we're doing the things. And we're still not able to get ahead or not even ahead. We're just, we're not even able to get comfortable. Um, And I think that's something I'd really love (sighs) to not be told (laughs) to not, not that it's the only solution is to work harder. Um, Not be blamed for
0: all of your extravagant avocado breakfast.
1: Exactly. And, and, and another piece is that we're not, trying like we're not coming after the older generations right i think we 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 you know, we've talked a little bit about this before but um yeah we're not trying to make it an us versus them thing we and we care about our grandparents and our parents and we want them to live happy comfortable lives but all we're saying is we want the same for us as well you know absolutely tom what about
2: you yeah there's <laughs> The, the economic insecurity of the current situation. So it's, as Jane said, you can work really hard. You can do everything right. You can go to university. You can get a job and you still feel like there's these barriers in front of you, whether it's the cost of housing or you're paying 8% of your income to pay off your hex debt over the over 10 years or just struggling to save money to make yourself feel financially secure um, it's that constant sort of feeling of just not quite feeling like you're safe and then you, of course you add climate change on top of that as well and thinking about 20 30 years in the future and will i own a home and will i be able to live somewhere that's not on fire or flooding <laughs> um, and it can feel like it can feel like a lot and then you see young people trying to advocate for a better future and they're not listened to by politicians. The media will um, start shouting and getting angry if you try and propose any sort of tax reform, which might try and level the playing field. Um, And I know when sort of I was growing up over the past decade, that frustration going into an election that there was barely any young, any policies targeted towards young people and everything was targeted to older people and getting their vote so there's been that feeling of insecurity plus the feeling of not being listened to um which has been really hard which which i think is why jane and i work for think forward because we want to do something about that um, and and yeah so now that we are like a third of the voting population i, th- I think with this growing power um, If, yeah, our leaders don't start coming to the table and addressing some of these issues, then I think we'll start voting them out, which we'd much prefer um, a conversation and for our leaders to act now. But I think with that growing power, there is an opportunity for us to, yeah, start wielding that.
0: Hmm. So for the people who are listening right now to this and for the networks that they have influence and a voice in and the conversations they can have, Jane, what's one thing that you would love if you could wave a wand? You know, what's one message for people? What's one idea that you would really love people listening to this to understand and take forward out into
1: the world? Yeah, Um, so I actually have four points. (laughs) But I think first and foremost, underlying all all of these conversations is that caring for future generations and younger generations, it's not a new concept, right? Indigenous cultures all over the world, think in generations have been doing so for a very long time. Um, and, you know, we, we've messed that up, right? So plain and simple, it's not a new concept. Very, We, we should be doing it. It's easy to do. <laughs> um, I think the second thing um, is that to specifically to younger people, that economic discussions, they are for you. Um, we have the right to participate. You know, and you know, the complexity of the language that's used and the concepts, it's not a sign that the decision making isn't for you. It's actually a sign um of poor design, right? A tax system is supposed to be accessible. And so don't don't feel discouraged if you can't understand it, you don't, or you, you know, you don't you don't know what people are talking about. That's fine. Um, yeah, I'm just saying like, yeah, don't, don't be discouraged. Um, it's all the more reason to get involved and to work to change the system because it shouldn't be this difficult. And it being this difficult is exactly what's got us into the situation that we're in right now. Um, the third thing is to politicians is that Young people want to be engaged on these issues, right? Climate is undeniably the most significant challenge for our generation, but it's not the only thing that we care about. Um, David Pocock is introducing his intergenerational equity bill, and it's exactly the type of bold moves that our politicians should be making. Um, but my only point of difference is let's not keep it climate specific. Imagine if there was a mechanism that required policymakers to consider their duty of care to younger and future generations across all policy areas. I imagine that we wouldn't be in this housing crisis uh, if that was the case. My, my fourth point, you know, is around this the cost of change. So we've just had the first measuring what matters statement um, released, and um, which is an incredible step in and of itself. But one of the criticisms that I think has been floating around is, you know, like how how are we going to pay for all of these things? You know, what's what's gonna be the cost of achieving this well-being for, for our country? God
0: forbid well-being cost us.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, and exactly, right? So like outside of you know the priorities of the people asking those questions being a little bit skewed um the answer is that it actually doesn't have to cost us anything we have the resources um you know the nitty gritty of moving to a well-being economy lies in tax and economic reform and a redistribution of wealth um so Tom and I and I think forward we're talking a lot about this idea of taxing wealth like wages and I'll I'll leave Tom to speak to more of the specifics of that. But in essence, like we have plenty of money with plenty of resources to make the change that we want. And it's just about pushing our governments to to make the reform that's necessary.
0: Okay, so, Tom, you have the ear of the nation, the treasurer, the cabinet, and you are pushing for reform and you are pushing for a big idea here. What do you want them to do?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I might pick up on what Jane was saying. We I would ask the Treasurer uh, to tax wealth like wages and invest in younger generation and invest in Australia's future uh, because at the moment we see this situation where uh, people who hold a lot of wealth, typically older people, are paying less tax than younger people who just rely on working for their incomes. Uh, and we've got this work example where, say, a young person earning $75,000, they pay the 32.5% income tax, the Medicare levy, uh, they're paying their HECs through the tax system, and so they might pay around $18,000 in tax. Meanwhile, a property investor earning much more, so say around 160000 60000 of that is from rent, um, they can actually use negative gearing concessions on capital gains to pay about half the amount of tax as the young person does, even though they're earning twice as much. And then there's all these wealthy retirees who say they're earning about hundred thousand dollars a year um, through withdrawing money from their super um, and then an the example that we've got um, like a really large share portfolio of a couple of million dollars. So they're earning about hundred thousand dollars a year and they pay no tax at all because of the tax settings we have. and then we actually give them a refund because we have franking credits. so actually giving them money even though they're a multi-million multi-millionaire. And our tax system is full of these distortions that have been put in place by governments over the last several decades to attract the votes of older generations, particularly the large baby boomer generation, but also to reward people who are just holding wealth passively. Um, And we've now got this situation where it seems too politically hard to address and to wind back any of these things. Uh, And Australia is one of the only nations in the world who has these kinds of tax settings like franking credits and you can use losses on your rental property against your income. And so what we see, the bigger picture is these tax settings rewards the accumulation of wealth over the hard work of younger people, whether they're working or starting a business, Um, they're getting taxed more than someone who's just wealthy and just sitting on that wealth. So that actually makes Australia... Uh, a a dumber place, I think, because we're not investing in young people and new ideas and new businesses. Um, And it also makes us incredibly economically vulnerable to shocks as well. Um, So that's what i would talk to the treasurer about. I'd be talking about using the tax system to actually invest in young people um, instead of putting up barriers in front of them and having these big tax burdens while people who have already got lots of money are sort of given all these favourable treatments. Because, yeah, young people are the ones with the the drive and the creativity um, to start new businesses, be innovative. They need to start a family, get an education, buy a home. And so I think if we're supporting that as opposed to holding younger people back, then that makes Australia a better place. And I think, I think that has those multi-decade positive impacts on our economy over where we're currently going, which is, yeah, rising wealth inequality. Um, and yeah, a sort of a, an economy that's not very smart or agile. So that's what I'd like to talk to him about, about how we can support younger people through the tax system, this idea of yeah, taxing wealth, like wages and evening that playing field and investing in young people.
0: Well, Tommy, you make a lot of sense. Uh, I hope he's listening. I hope that you can get in his ear and for people listening to this going, yeah, yeah, that's the country we want. And that's the way that we wanted it operate and those are the things we want to incentivize and the barriers we need to remove. Um again I direct people to your website to think forward. Um, you will, you know, we'll have the links up in the show notes for people who want to get more involved. You guys, it's such a pleasure talking to you both and to hear, you know, the heart and the head and just where you're coming from and the integrity of what you're trying to do. Um, it's really quite inspiring and I just want to thank you both for taking the time to kind of come on and put these messages out there and be such strong advocates for the not only young people but the kind of country we want for all of us, you know, and the kind of future that we want for all of us. And I really deeply respect and appreciate what you do.
2: Great. Thanks, Lily. Um, and, yeah, if you go to our website, we actually have a survey up at the moment about what young people know about the tax system, how they're feeling in terms of whether they're being supportive supported to reach their potential and, and what kind of tax reforms they would like to see to sort of yeah help us paint this story and advocate to our leaders about why reform's needed um and and it's been great remember, talking guys, about it as all
0: jane says this is for you this conversation is yeah. for you. you know don't be
1: put off by the jargon and all the rest of it yeah absolutely thank you so much lily all right thank you both it's been a pleasure
0: Thanks for listening to The Remakers. I'm the host, Lily Spencer, and I record my part of these conversations from the beautiful Guppy Guppy country on the Sunshine Coast of Queensland. Just want to honor the incredible elders of these lands and waters and Aboriginal culture, 60,000 years, is the oldest continuing civilization on Earth. I also want to pay a shout out to our producer, Anna Wilson, to my colleague and sometimes co-host dr millie rooney you can learn more about australia remade and everything we're about over on australiaremade.org and in the meantime thank you for sharing thank you for listening and subscribing sending us your thoughts we really appreciate all of the support that you give the podcast we'll see you next time over on the remakers